1: Welcome to The Broad Experience, the show about women, the workplace, and success. I'm Ashley Miltite. This time, we look at that invisible issue that runs beneath so many women's lives confidence, or the lack of it, and what that means for our careers. You know, you
2: see a man in a job interview, and he answers off the cuff of his, of his sleeve. He doesn't think, oh my gosh, I might not be able to do that, or could I do that?
1: And why it can be so hard for women to value what they bring to the table, especially when they're negotiating.
3: The times when I've actually asked for things, it's been really hard. It seemed so unthinkable that I would be able to ask
1: for something and that I deserved it. Coming up, two women from different backgrounds on cultivating confidence and a sense of self-worth. But first, this episode of The Broad Experience is brought to you by M.M. Lafleur. It's a fast-growing, woman-run clothing brand committed to helping professional women live with purpose and dress with ease. You'll hear more about them a bit later in the show. I'm a bit obsessed with confidence, mainly because I've never had much. You can see it written in my school reports right from when I was seven up to 18. Lacks confidence. I've cultivated more of it over the years, but that voice in my head that tells me I'm not good enough, that I can't do something, it's never really gone away. And I know it's sometimes held me back at work. Denise Barreto is the opposite of me. I first talked to her last year for a show I did on starting your own business, and I wanted to talk to her for this show because I remember how confident she seemed during our conversation. She struck me as having an enviable amount of confidence. Denise runs her own business near Chicago. It's called Relationships Matter Now, and it does strategic planning and marketing. She says the confidence I hear comes from the fact she feels so competent at her job. So has she never heard that internal voice bringing her down? I don't hear that voice when I'm going
2: to speak in front of a crowd or when I'm walking into a room of executives or I'm walking into a room of elected officials and I'm about to tell them what they need to do. That that voice is non-existent. Um perhaps in other situations, right? Like, you know, I'm, I'm right now in a rough point in my marriage and the voice that I hear is not about my competence or whatever. It's, you know, am I enough for, for my husband? Am I, you know, have I done enough for him? Am I beautiful enough for him to keep his, you know what I mean? Those kinds of things. But I think that's a very, you know, it's a different conversation. And, and I would say both on a personal and professional level, all of that starts when we're children right? So the things that we're told and we believe deeply about ourselves start when we're children.
1: Denise's mother died when she was four. She and her sister were raised by her dad. She knows she missed a lot in losing her mother. But she says one advantage of having her father as the main caregiver was that she saw self-assurance in action every day.
2: I got to say, you know, first of all, when you grow up with a man at the head of the household, I think that's a whole different dynamic than women, right? Men tend to be bullheaded confident, right? Like they, they you know, a guy, there's never a stretch thing for a guy. A guy will will go for it. And so I do think that had a big impact on me. You know, my dad was not super educated, but yet, you know, he got out there and he had a really good job and when, you know, and when things didn't work out, he figured out a way to take care of things and that influenced me a lot. And I got to say, like losing, I think mothers are very nurturing and they are very, you know, they kind of build into the emotional piece of a a child and I miss that. So I think one of the things I'm learning as an adult is that I, you know, you know, I just never felt things right. I may have felt them, but I just didn't allow myself to because I was kind of following the model of my dad who I don't know if he ever felt anything because, you know, there was no indication of that.
1: Her dad faced a lot of challenges growing up and as an adult.
2: My dad grew up in the southern part of the United States under Jim Crow. So my dad is not your picture of confidence, OK? <laughs> I would see white men humiliate my dad at the gas station when we drove through Indiana as a kid, thinking to myself... There's no way anybody's ever going to talk to me like that. So, you know what I mean? There's a lot of different layers and intersections that we're talking about. But, you know, my dad was born in the 1930s in Alabama. You know, that's not exactly a very confident time for black people in this country. So the confidence and the instilling of my sense of accomplishment and self all came from him being a man.
1: And not specifically a black man. Last year, I read a book called The Confidence Code, and there's a part when an African-American lawyer, a woman, comments that a lot of black women her age went into the adult world with quite a bit of confidence because she says they've nearly all been raised by mothers who worked, women who supported families, sometimes single-handedly, so they don't question the need to get out there and lead. I wanted to know if Denise saw that with the women she worked with.
2: Most of the work that I do, I'm usually the only black woman there.
1: <laughs> it's
2: very few, you know what I mean? It's few and far between that I see a lot of black women. But I will say, definitely, the confidence is there. And and, and part of it, I think, too, is because black women have a tremendous shell that we that we put up. Because again, this narrative that we hear that we're not worthy of of compassion and feminism and and that goes way back in America, you know, even into slavery times. I mean, we have always had to be strong and and, and that has cultivated the angry black woman. And I think in general, a lot of us do a lot of protecting ourselves and a lot of uh, wall building to keep, you know, to keep from letting folks in.
1: But maybe there is that layer of confidence that lets you do things and not get eaten by self-doubt. Still, she says it's rare she encounters any woman with quite the self-belief of the average man. There's no stretch job for a guy, right? When he goes for jobs,
2: I hear this all the time too because I do a lot of organizational development. You know, you see a man in a job interview and he answers off the cuff of his, you know, of his sleeve. He doesn't think, oh my gosh, I might not be able to do that or could I do that? Like a man will declare that he can and then figure it out later. Whereas we are so much more realistic to what are you know we have more tuned into our talents and i think we're more self-aware than they can be
1: but that self-awareness can undermine us as we question ourselves and sometimes miss out on opportunities denise isn't someone to let an opportunity pass her by and she wants her teenage daughter to have the same can-do attitude
2: i like when people say i'm pushy that means i'm persuasive <laughs> right so How do we help our girls take those things and not have them be albatross around their neck, but really think building blocks for their confidence, right? Because those are, that's a word that's great on your resume, right? Persuasive.
1: (laughs) This episode of the show is sponsored by M.M. LaFleur. Through their bento box model, M.M. Lafleur takes the work out of dressing for work by delivering stylist-selected, work-appropriate looks right to your door. The pieces are travel-friendly, and a lot of them are machine-washable and wrinkle-resistant. When you order your bento box, there's no money up front. You get to try a bunch of pieces on at home, keep what you like, send the rest back – and if you order your box anytime from now until December 31st, you'll automatically be entered to win one of five $300 gift cards. Just take their quick online survey and a gift card may be nestled in your box when it arrives. Visit mmlafleur.com to see the collection and start building your ultimate work wardrobe. Stacy Vanek-Smith is a correspondent for NPR's Planet Money podcast, and she's also a friend of mine. We used to work together at another show. She's highly accomplished, but you'll never hear her say that. For one thing, she was raised to be modest. And two, she says, self-deprecation's always how she's dealt with her insecurities. She first noticed the gulf between her attitude and that of some of the men around her when she was at journalism school. I mean, I tended
3: to be sort of much more in the female camp of like a more modest approach where I'd be like, yeah, you know... So I'm just doing this internship. It's really not that big of a deal. I mean, mostly I'm getting coffee, but, you know, I'm excited because I really do like the work that they do, and then I'm also working on this piece that I'm really excited about for a class. And then the guys would be like, oh, yeah, I've got this amazing internship, and, you know, it's really fantastic. I'm really killing it. I just got the most amazing interview for this amazing piece I'm doing in class. And I just remember thinking it was like, I was like almost embarrassed on their behalf. And then as I went on in my career, I noticed that that actually works. It works. When people are like, I'm awesome, even if it seems so obviously coming from a place of deep insecurity, people believe it. It's shocking to me. And people can get very far in their careers on that kind of confidence and chutzpah.
1: Meanwhile, women and men who think it's more seemly to let their work speak for them can find they're missing out on promotions or projects. Stacy's seen this happen several times over the years. A young guy with bags of confidence, or at least bravado, comes in and competes for a job with a woman who already works at the company. And the woman may be more qualified, but the bosses often overlook her.
3: Because it's like, oh, the woman feels like sort of dreary and unexciting and like, oh, she's been here for so many years plugging away. The guy is this sort of like lightning bolt. he's so exciting. And I will see these like sort of swaggery, confident guys like blow in and take these jobs. And it's hard. Like it's a hard thing to watch.
1: And that swagger isn't something she can emulate. When she's going for a job or a promotion, she cannot bring herself to be that guy talking up her work.
3: I tend to also focus on how hard I work and not on how glorious the product is because that feels concrete to me. That feels like something I can prove, whereas the gloriousness of the product feels subjective. I feel like I can't back it up.
1: I think that's the crux of the problem right there, that when it comes down to it, women like us don't have that core belief in our value that seems to come naturally to so many men. Stacey has to muster every ounce of determination to ask for more at work.
3: The times when I've actually asked for things, it's been really hard. It seemed so unthinkable that I would be able to ask for something and that I deserved it. it was very hard for me to get my head around. And I usually had to, have had to, in my career, get to a place of feeling anger or resentment or something like that before I feel like I can ask for something I don't feel comfortable like necessarily within
1: myself saying I feel like I deserve this no I completely agree but but it was you who encouraged me to ask for a raise A number of years ago, in a certain job situation that I would never have asked for, because I was feeling so low and so sort of despondent after not getting this job. And you were the one who said to me, Well, you know what? They still want you. You should ask for this amount, which was 20% more than I was getting. And you gave me that back information, which is so important when you're negotiating to know what's going on behind the scenes if you possibly can. And you sort of gave me that and you said, Well, so and so's earning X. You should ask for that. They need you. And if you hadn't told me that, I wouldn't have gone into that conversation and asked for exactly that. And I was ready to walk if they didn't give it to me because I was so pissed off. And they did. And I never would have done that if I hadn't had that conversation with you.
3: I'm so glad. that's. I'm so glad to know that. I mean, I've, I've, I don't think I've, I have trouble seeing the value of the women around me oh no no we never have trouble seeing the value of other people right or like (laughs) oh my gosh you should totally get a raise it's just in myself and it's interesting that you're bringing this up because this is another issue I feel like I feel like I have to have some kind of crazy leverage to ask for something like I have to feel like I'm ready to walk you know like I don't feel like I can just ask for something because I have to feel like I have another job offer or I have or I'm like so unhappy, I'm ready to leave, or whatever it is, I feel like I don't feel like I am enough leverage, I guess. Um, I feel like I have to say like, or else, dot, dot, dot. And I do feel like that's something, I had a male colleague who I worked alongside for years, who was like constantly making noise about raises, just griping all the time about raises. I'm sure he made a lot more (laughs) money than I did. And on the one hand, I found it sort of irritating and I'm not sure that like that it was effective to the degree that he was constantly talking about how he deserved a raise. On the other hand, he really thought he deserved a raise all the time. He really thought he deserved more money all the time. And I was jealous of that.
1: Me too. Because if you truly believe you deserve it, you can ask for it with no qualms. Otherwise, asking can be fraught with anxiety. And as Denise said near the beginning of the show, this confidence thing goes back to our childhoods. A lot of this comes down to nurture and the messages we get from the world around us about what women should be like.
3: I mean, I grew up in a very traditional house. Um, My mom was a homemaker. My father had a super demanding job. And I grew up in Idaho, which is a very traditional place. And a lot of my aspirations as a, a girl, a young girl, were to to marry someone who was really successful. Like that seemed like... I mean, not that I didn't have my own ambitions. I wanted to be a writer. and But I always imagined the ultimate success being basically to be Kate Middleton, right? Like to marry someone really awesome and sort of like have that sort of success by proxy. And so to me, what that says is I saw men's success as being important and a value, and women's value is finding a man who's very successful. Of course, ironically enough, I'm like, you know, not married and have actually had a really good career. Yeah, I so I guess I was just thinking of the Gloria Steinem quote. Like, I think I so many of us are becoming the men we always wanted to marry. Uh, that was going through <laughs> my head. Um, I think, I mean, in retrospect, looking back on the kind of kid I was, I was super ambitious, super ambitious. I worked really hard in school. I always worked as hard as I could. I, I wanted to get out of Idaho. I wanted to see the world. I always had those ambitions. But I think if you'd asked me directly, I probably would have denied
1: it. And years later, long after she dropped the supportive wife idea, she's still a bit ambivalent about her worth. Do I think I'm a
3: an equal worker I, I do it, I really do but I think there's part of me that doesn't think that you know I think there's part of me that thinks eh, maybe I should probably get paid a little less just a little you know what I mean like I think if I were on an absolute equal footing with a man a male colleague who had the same years of experience same everything if I found out that he were making say 10% more than me I would be annoyed but I wouldn't be outraged if I were making 10% more than him,
1: It's complicated. One thing that builds confidence on one level is simply becoming good at what you do. But it's it's not that kind of confidence problem that a lot of us suffer from. It's the the much deeper thing about just your value in the world. And I don't know how you get over that. You can cultivate confidence at a task by doing it over and over and over again and and knowing what you can pull off. And that's a really lovely thing to have cultivated over the years, I will say for myself. But that who do you think you are voice inside, I don't know how you usurp that voice. God,
3: that's so, that is so true. It, It is the who do you think you are. And I have to say, The way that I I try to handle that now is that I get a little bit excited when I notice something like that. Basically, if I notice that something is making me uncomfortable, like I'm feeling like I'm not speaking up enough or I'm not enough of part of a project or I'm not getting promoted fast enough or paid enough or whatever it is, there is something thrilling about that discomfort. There's something exciting to me because once it's not sitting well, then eventually I know that I will do something about it. I feel like that is this really beautiful tension point, that discomfort. It's like, wait a minute, I think I'm worth more. Like if you really did believe that you should be paid less, then it wouldn't bother you to learn that you were paid less. But the fact that it bothers you, that is the
1: beginning of change, I think. Still, she sometimes asks herself, what would life be like if she believed in herself more? The the real danger of the who
3: do you think you are message is that it's not like, oh, I wonder if I deserve that. I guess I could ask for that. Should I ask for that? It's the stuff you don't even think of asking for. It's the stuff that feels so far out of the realm of reality or the realm of anything that you could ever get. That's what I sometimes think about. Like, I wonder if I had no yeah. questions about my value. Like, I wonder what I would be doing. Would we all just be Richard Branson? <laughs> <laughs> maybe. I mean, maybe. <laughs> It'd be so many airlines.
1: Stacey vanek Smith. Thanks to her and Denise Barretto for being my guests on this episode. As usual, you can comment on this episode at thebroadexperience.com and on the show's Facebook page. And don't forget to check out my sponsor at mmlafleur.com. And if you're a fan of the show and you want to help market it, if you can kick in $50, I'll send you a Broad Experience t-shirt. Ladies cut. Check it out at the support tab at thebroadexperience.com. Thanks to Erin McMahon for her help with this episode. I'm Ashley Milne-Tight. See you next time.